0: I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to The World is Wrong podcast.
1: We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about (laughs) The terminal, the terminal, the terminal, the terminal. Yes, the terminal. Okay, 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 the terminal. (laughs) Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films... And film artists, the world is wrong about. I am Andras Jones, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Brian Connolly, the other host. And we have a special guest co host. We're doing this as a threesome again after our great experience with Bethany Watson. Welcome to the second of our
2: three hosted shows, AJ Gonzalez. Thank you, Andras Brian. Thanks for having me back. And Brian, thanks for having me on your other podcast.
1: <laughs> yes, the two of you host the Director's Wall podcast, where you look at a director's full filmography. You have climbed the mountain, which is M. Night Shyamalan, and you are halfway up the mountain, which is Francis Ford Coppola. About
2: halfway up, right?
0: I think we're a little more than halfway, but.
2: Yeah, I think we're a bit more than halfway, but still making good discoveries.
0: And he's still alive, still making movies. So it might never be halfway.
1: Unlike M. Night Shyamalan, who <laughs> <laughs> tragically we lost him. He visited an island, uh, and he, he aged, aged right out of his body, and now no longer. Okay, well, we're here to talk about a film that we all love, right? We all love this film, right? Yes, correct. It is called The Terminal. It is a collaboration between Steven Spielberg and Tomothy Hanks. And (laughs) Tom Hanks. And uh, we'll talk about it. We're going to play a clip. But any first thoughts you just want to throw out here before we play anything?
0: This is just a really great feel-good feel bad combo movie and it was at a time I think when I was kind of giving up on Spielberg a little bit and he this was a nice little surprise out of nowhere so I really recommend people watch this before we get into it because there's little surprises within this movie that's great to watch for the first time
1: there might be spoilers there might be spoilers there might be spoilers okay All thanks thanks
3: Thank you. So, Mr. Havorski, I have some very, very good news for you. What? I think that I figured out a way to get you out of this airport. Huh? Well, we have laws here that protect aliens who have a credible fear of returning to their own country. If we can establish this fear with you, then the CBP will be forced to begin expedited removal procedures, bring you to an immigration judge, and let you plead your case for asylum. Asylum? Mm Mm-hmm, asylum. Unfortunately, the courts are so backed up with asylum cases that the soonest you get before a judge would probably be six months from now.
2: Yes, and we would have no choice but to let you go for those
3: six months. It's the law. You'd be released. Right. You would be free to wait in New York until your court date, but believe it or not, most people they never show up before the judge so i go new york city uh-huh you can go to new york city tonight but you only get to go if we can establish a credible fear fear mm-hmm. fear. fear 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 from what well that's the best part it doesn't really matter what you're afraid of it's all the same to uncle sam Okay? So I'm going to ask you one question, Victor, and it's a simple question. And if you give me the correct answer, I can get you out of this airport tonight.
4: So I answer
3: one question mm-hmm. Go to New York City
4: uh-huh. tonight. 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 Uh, uh. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> okay. All right.
3: Do you, at this time, have any fear of returning to your own country? Uh, No. Okay. Let me try it again. Your country's at war, Victor. Yes, yes, at war. There are men in the streets with guns. Political persecution. Yes, yes, it's terrible. Yeah, it's horrible, it's horrible. God only knows what could happen. Right? Innocent people are torn from their beds and thrown into jail. Yeah, on Tuesday? Right? On Tuesday. Yeah, I hate Tuesday. Yes, yeah, it's hard. So you're afraid? From what? Krakosia. You're afraid of Krakosia. Krakosia? Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm not afraid from Krakosia. I'm a little afraid of this room. <laughs> no, okay. I'm talking about bombs. I'm talking about human dignity. I'm talking about human rights. Victor, please don't be afraid to tell me that you're afraid of Cracosia.
4: It's home. I'm not afraid from my home. So? I go to New York City now? No. No?
3: Uh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm afraid from ghosts. Okay, thanks very much. I'm afraid very from much.
4: Yep. Uh, Dracula. Thanks a lot.
3: Thanks, Victor. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Victor. Sharks, thanks. Thanks
1: a lot. The Terminal is the story of Victor Noworski, played by Tom Hanks, a man whose nation experiences a coup d'etat while he is en route to New York City, leaving him without a country, a passport, or a visa at JFK Airport, where he encounters Stanley Tucci, a petty and sadistic bureaucrat who doesn't know how to deal with this troublesome immigrant except to try and force him to leave the titular terminal, likely to be arrested for violating immigration law. Instead, Hanks befriends all his fellow captives, the Capra-esque wage slaves working the service and security jobs at JFK, as well as Catherine Zeta-Jones in the Barbara Stanwyck role as the broken beauty whose heart is melted by this sad little man with Tom Hanks's giant head. In less skilled hands, this could be Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Not a bad film, but this isn't that. This is my favorite film that either Hanks or Spielberg has made since they made this film. And I'll admit I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen most of them, and so far, I like this one best. That's The Terminal. We can get into the details as we get into this. So, uh, since you're the guest here, AJ, you get the first crack at it. How is the world wrong
2: about the Terminal? So, I like this movie so much, it took me a while to figure out that the world was wrong about it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. the, The reactions I would get would be from people like, oh, that movie, or people going "Mm." and like what are you talking about this movie's great it's wonderful it's whimsical and i think it's um it it's very sentimental even for spielberg and i think that's what trips up uh, a lot of people and also what as I watch more classic movies and I watch more Frank Capra movies, so I'm glad you (laughs) brought up the term Capra-esque, is uh, if this movie was in black and white, no one would have a problem with it. Like, you would accept everything that happens in it, no matter how unrealistic or schmaltzy or sentimental. Just imagine it's in black and white, you know that it's uh Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart and I think everyone would would really dig this movie and get the uh like the the the, the delightfulness that it is trying to impart on everyone as Victor <laughs> Novorsky imparts delightfulness on all the lives he encounters
1: <laughs> so, Brian, you usually do a little a search for the for the reviews of the of the film. Do you did you do that for this? Do you have a sense of how the world responded to this film?
0: Well, pretty much like the reviews were fairly favorable. Like it was uh, a well, like everyone was like, "This is delightful!" Like th- what a nice, refreshing movie amongst you know remakes and sequels, and even for Spielberg who was doing like. War of the Worlds and things around this time and to do something that's like kinda out of left field of a delightful comedy. And not the normal Tom Hanks, you know, give me another Oscar sort of movie, like this is the sort of movies he should be making, or the ones that we love him the most in. Uh, it's just there wasn't a lot of movies like this in the early aughts where it was just a nice comedy that had a message, but it but it worked. And it didn't make you feel totally rotten and it wasn't like gross, R-rated, whatever. Like this is the time of like, you know, 40 Old Virgin and American Pie 3 and stuff, and to have this kind of comedy come out then is really great. And I think a lot of critics were you know on board with it.
1: Yeah. I you know what? I I think you know, when you're standing alone on an island and you're saying the world is wrong, well, maybe you're the one who's wrong, so maybe I'm wrong, but I think you're all wrong about this movie. This, whimsical, delightful. I mean, it's deft. It is... Uh, the the mastery of of both Hanks and Spielberg is, is on display with the lightness of their touch, but this is a fucking nightmarishly sad and depressing film. <laughs> it there is it is it's called The Terminal. Terminal means day, like death. It is <laughs> like it is the stealthiest most like bleakest statement on America that you could possibly make. It is so and I love like I get the same feelings. It is yes, it's adorable. His Hanks's character is, is adorable and Spielberg's just his heart comes through and the characters it really like you they are I feel like they are making a capra film but sort of like it's it's a wonderful life is also a pretty bleak film but this is so yeah. much bleaker and 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 yeah and so like when I watch it the, the the first time I watched it by the end I think I the impact of that hit me and I was like oh wow this is really good but what I've watched it I think one two two times since then once for this. And each time what's come home to me is, wow, these guys snuck a really, really bleak statement about America and immigration and all of this stuff into this film that you're right is like you could totally watch it and that could could sail over your head. You could not think like just like you can watch about it's you could watch It's a Wonderful Life and not think about the, you know, the system of American banking that leads to the tragedy in that film. But that's what that movie is about. And this, likewise, is just a, the only one who has a happy ending is Stanley Tucci. And, <laughs> and and he probably is in, like, he probably has been in every presidential administration since then. Like, he's one of those guys, who <laughs> was just bad enough to be in b- both the Obama administration, the Trump administration administration and now the Joe Biden administration because he's just <laughs> great at locking people up and moving up the con- like uh yes it's a this is such a dark film um, and I, I love it because of that I, because i think that that's i mean if it was as, if it was made as dark as the story is we wouldn't be talking about it i think that i think it's the juxtaposition of this super light common touch with, you know, pretty much every story you could dig into. And it's like, this is not a happy story for any of these people. (laughs) Really. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If you can do any of these characters have a happy ending besides Stanley
2: Tucci? Well, Tom Hanks, Victor Noworski gets what he came to America for. And... I think the other characters, um, Kumar Pallana's character, accepting end up okay. Mild spoilers there. Oh on, wait, wait, on wait. Gupta's storyline. Wait, wait, what do you know? His,
1: he, no, he things don't go well for him. First of all, there are spoilers. We're going to spoil the hell out of this film. We played the thing at the beginning, saying there will be spoilers. So feel free to spoil it. We got to talk about this. he's going to an to a prison he's going to get deported and sent to a prison for murder.
2: well, yeah, things don't end up well for him, but I think like
1: Diego Luna and zoe Solana uh, th- th- wait okay. a second first of all, that relationship is messed up from the get go like they've never met when he asks her to marry that's not that does that's not going to go well that's not there's go. a whole
2: t v series based on this idea <laughs> <laughs> married at first sight.
1: <laughs> Okay, so maybe that, okay, the jury's still out on that one, although Stanley Tucci still may come down on him. Like, Stanley Tucci threatened to to bust all of those people. He knows, he has their, even if he bust, doesn't bust them, he has something on them, and he's going to use that. He's going to lord that over everyone in this movie who helped Nivorski. And let me just say, for Nivorski, sure, he did what he was there to do, but Do you really think that when he comes back and tries to get through immigration again, things are going to go smoothly? No. He's going to get caught up in in, the—and probably Stanley Tucci is going to have his finger on the thumb somewhere. He ends up in Guantanamo Bay, is what I'm saying. That's, (laughs) (laughs) Damn, they should make a sequel. Yeah. I think he gets back fine. (laughs) Okay. But in best-case scenario, he goes back to his
2: war-torn home. And yeah, I mean the war is over, the government's probably not very stable at that moment. But uh yeah, there's that scene where he very clearly states to Stanley Tucci, he's not afraid of Krakosia. when he Stanley Tucci finds a way to get Victor out of the airport and into the US as a, like a refugee status. He just has to say I'm afraid of Krikoja and he says no i i afraid of ghosts <laughs> i afraid for draculia
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love okay so okay this is this is it you're when we get into the details of the performance you're absolutely right it is in it's sort of like a life is beautiful thing in Victor Noworski's mind. All of this stuff is magical and wonderful, but for, but I feel like this is the thing. I, think, I feel like this is a movie made by people who haven't been involved in commercial jet travel in like three decades at least. So they sort of like have this rosy idea of what it's like for people who work in an airport. But if, for anyone who's ever spent, like they've all, they fly, like Tom Hanks and Spielberg, Steven Spielberg fly private jets everywhere. <laughs> they, they, they don't know. They're like, they look down and think, wow, that would be so quaint to work in an airport. But if you've spent time <laughs> in an airport, you know it's hell. It like all this stuff happens in airport bathrooms. Oh, my God. It's just so stinky. You know what? Like <laughs> all of the, those, like, those scenes when he's like cleaning himself in the bathroom and everything and you're just like, oh. It's a disgusting place to clean yourself. Um so anyway, any other happy story? <laughs> anyone else have a happy story in this movie? Not Catherine Zeta Jones. Her story is so bleak. The the head of security, the Thurman, that guy. He can
0: be promoted maybe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, he's anyone involved in that poker game is under Stanley Tucci's thumb from
2: here on out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> See, I I get the feeling that Stanley Tucci's like back to his normal self as soon as victor drives away in the cab and he's out of his sight he then he's just back to i'm the director the ringmaster of the airport and as long as everything's running smoothly then i'm okay with it
1: as long as no one's trying to take their medicine back to their father because they came (laughs) through canada and I'm gonna deny them that. Like, yeah, he's gonna go on denying people be- because it's a it's against the rules. He is, yeah, I,
0: yeah. I, I think things work out well for Catherine Zeta Jones's boyfriend.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike. Okay, he's the other bad guy in the film. This the only two people who win in this movie are Michael Nori and Stanley Tucci. Hey, maybe Steven Spielberg's making another one of his comments. Uh, these, these these shadow. Secret comments about the Italians. <laughs> what was the other one? Tucci and Nori, Michael Nori, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so okay, well, so we've we've got into a little bit. We we're I think we're all in agreement that it's great, and maybe I just enjoy the sadness of this movie more than most people. Um, I, you know, it's just like I. I I think there's something about it like usually when movies when a comedy when everything works out in a comedy the way this is there's a way that I usually feel cheated at the end like that's never going to happen that's never going to happen it's never going to work out that way and there's a lot of that in this movie but somehow the fact that nobody when you really think about it nobody has this big magical moment that they you know it's sort of Based upon the point of view of this movie, everyone has little victories and moments of connection, but it isn't cheap. And I feel like that's somewhere hidden in this is the thing that is what makes Steven Spielberg a genius to the extent that he is. And I don't think it's something that it's easy to put your finger on. It's not just his mastery of form. It's not just like sort of the common touch. There's something. This film is a magic trick. It shouldn't feel as good as it does. There's this level of mastery that's happening here that is very hard to put your finger on. You can you can say Capra-esque, I guess, but it still doesn't quite capture the way that Spielberg's able to do it. And there's several other films I could think of where, like, Always is kind of the same way is a film that I love that is very, very sad and yet very, very life affirming and i i walk away from feeling like it's a comedy more than a tragedy and yeah i i i don't know and i'm i'm just waxing uh, poetic on on Steven Spielberg but um uh do you want to talk actually let, we have we talked about Spielberg on this podcast i don't feel like we've I mean really... we did
0: in the very very first episode where i talked about how he was one of my favorite filmmakers cuz he was the first filmmaker that i realized Made all these movies that I loved, and that's when I made the connection of who a, what a director was. But other than that, we didn't really go deep into it.
1: Just going around, it, uh, can each of you tell me a movie you think that the a Spielberg movie you think
2: the world is wrong about? Beyond the terminal. Hmm. Beyond the terminal. Well, his latest run of quote unquote dad movies like Bridge of Spies and The Post. I think are great, and people are like, yeah, they're okay, but like, they're movies to watch with your dad. And I'm like, no, these are like <laughs> awesome, like amazing, thrilling movies. Bridge of Spies, where a movie where Tom Hanks has to negotiate, just talk to people, and The Post, one of those movies where you know the outcome, but it's still like riveting, and those movies both tom hanks get in both of those movies tom hanks gets to play like a an actual character as opposed to just a riff on his movie star persona and i think also in the terminal he gets to play like a real character as opposed to just like a slightly different version of tom hanks that you recognize from late night talk shows
1: What about you, Brian?
0: I will die on a hill for 1941.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get movie. on that hill. There's a mob that's looking for you. And I
0: feel that recently people have started to embrace it, but like I have always loved that movie and have never understood the hate. Like, Sure, it's a huge, loud mess, but I love huge, loud messes. <laughs> It's like it's got every- co- comedian in it that I love I just i you know I like seeing movies where things break and fall apart, and no, I think that movie's a true masterpiece, okay
2: yeah i I do not dig nineteen forty one or always, oh man, you don't like always get no, out of here, no, no, get out of here of an Audrey Hepburn fan I am oh great film, um,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, the only... I mean, I think I think at this point, people have claimed Empire of the Sun. There was a time when that used to be a film where I felt like I had to make a stand for a lot more. I think nobody really gives Steven Spielberg credit as an actor for his performance in The Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> he's really good in that. Eat he a sandwich? Is, yeah. He's pretty, he's pretty great in that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and, and how about Tom Hanks? i the, here's the thing about about Tom Hanks for me. He's great I, I have nothing I have nothing bad to say about Tom Hanks, but I feel like at a certain point, and I remember I, I read an interview before saving Private Ryan, and he was saying how, well, he just i'm ready i'm I'm ready to start playing men, not. You know, not boyish men or whatever he was playing, thought he was playing before, and it's funny because he gets compared to Jimmy Stewart a lot, and I feel kind of the same way about Jimmy Stewart. Like everyone loves his Anthony Mann pictures, and like, but I feel and the and Vertigo, his his uh, his Hitchcock pictures, but I feel like once Steve and once Jimmy Stewart started to get serious and haunted. I mean, a lot of people can be serious and haunted, but only one person could be Jimmy Stewart, and that guy stopped wanting to be that guy after a certain point. And I don't hold it against any actor when they decide, hey, I want to start doing other stuff. But when I think about my favorite Tom Hanks roles, they're more like this, where he's playing sort of a little guy who's kind of in a weird situation and he so he ele- where he elevates a small guy role into a big thing. Like to me the the greatest magic trick as an actor for him was Turner and Hooch. That <laughs> film he acts the shit out of that movie. It he takes that movie to a like the Shakespearean place where any like if you've ever had a dog, you know that that's what the relationship is like, but I've ne- I'd never seen a man and dog movie that really got to that before and i think he does it in a league of their own had there's moments in that where all of a sudden yeah. you're you're you think you're watching one kind of movie and then because of him all of a sudden goes into this other gear actually the 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 first first time i well it's not the first time i i saw him because obviously i was a fan i mean obviously i was a fan of bosom buddies uh when it uh when it was on the air Uh, Rest in peace, great Peter Scolari. Um, But Hanks did a guest role on Family Ties with Michael J. Fox, where he plays the alcoholic uncle. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. He has this scene with Michael J. Fox where you're watching Family Ties like on a Thursday night at home, and all of a sudden, you're not watching NBC anymore. You're watching PBS. Like it just, the laugh track goes away, and the scene... Went to another place.
2: Marinated artichoke hearts. You ever have a real good artichoke high, Alex? Yeah. <laughs>
3: Cut it out, Uncle Ned. You you really don't need this. Oh 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 oh! Here we go now. It may not be Miller time, but it is Vanilla time. <laughs> Look at you, kid. Yes. <sighs> now remember, don't drive and bake. <laughs> Believe this? You just drank a whole bottle of vanilla extract. I'm sorry. Did you want some? No. No, I didn't. Well, come on. Sit down. Maybe I can help you with this test of yours tomorrow, huh? I am not totally unfamiliar with the area of economics, you know. Thanks. I think I'll do all right. You, uh, you, you don't think your Uncle Ned has it anymore, huh? You're, you're ashamed of your Uncle Ned. You think I might give you the wrong answers. Let me tell you something. I spoke in front of the World Bank. So why don't you just come down from this high horse and ask your Uncle Ned for some help, huh? What's the matter? Don't you like your Uncle Ned anymore? I like him. I like him a lot.
2: And yet you're too good to sit down and have a glass of maraschino cherries with him, huh? Is that it? Come Come on.
3: I've never seen you drunk before.
2: You think I'm drunk? You think I am drunk? Let me tell you something, buddy.
3: I'm drunk. <laughs> Why shouldn't I be? I don't like to see you like this. <laughs> you, are, you are just like that mother of yours, aren't you? You always think you can tell me what to do. Uncle Ned Let I me got... tell you something! Ned Donnelly marches to his own drum. So don't think you can come in here and prop me up with some pious platitudes, because you were wrong. Well, why don't you ju- just get out of here, huh? Beat it. You're beginning to get on my nerves. Why don't you just come upstairs, sleeping oh, off? No, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm gonna go out. Uh, uh, Put yourself together. <laughs> Will get... you don't get out of here, you punk!
1: Just... Get out of here! And I just feel like when he's in movies that are already pumping at that level, you we lost that opportunity. He's not going to take the post to another level. It's already at that level, you know, and nothing against that. I think it's great that he wants that he like his he should be a serious actor. And he should get to do that. But I love him doing what he does in this, which is take this uh, this. I don't know, this little man. And just build him up throughout the whole film with his charm and his lightness. There's no scowling seriousness. There's no screaming Wilson moment. All of which are fine. None of this is to take that away. But when I was making my list of my favorite Tom Hanks films preparing for this, I realized that they were all the earlier stuff.
0: I really like it when he does comedy. I think he's better as a comedian than just someone who's doing a drama with some comedy. Like I think when he's doing – when he's trying to be funny and then there's something more sad there, that's better than the other way around. Like I think Turner and Hooches was a great example of that. And I think this movie is a great example of that. And even like weird stuff like the Lady Killers remake, which I actually love. <laughs> and he <laughs> plays a villain in it. There's this, There's something more interesting to me like than him just being – serious I mean, and he's really good at it like philadelphia is amazing and his performance is incredible but i don't know like when he goes to like the darker places it seems to be in uh the comedies
2: <laughs> there is a darkness to his character in a league of their own which is like great and kind of uh subversive i guess for lack of a better word to slip in this really dark character into uh don't kind of know what i guess people might think of as like a light movie that he's playing the character who can't play baseball anymore. And then he also can't uh, join the army and fight in the war. So he can't really do anything. He can't even drink out of a water fountain. His great introductory scene where he loses a (laughs) fight with a water fountain. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I believe... I might be mistaken, but I don't think I am that Tom Hanks had a uh some Shakespearean training like in his youth. Uh yeah. he started out doing Shakespeare. And yeah. it's it's sometimes surprising to learn that about an actor, but then also not really cuz like, oh, that to me helps explain their range. Like Vincent Price was also classically trained, and he's great in like everything everything he's great in like a serious like uh you know a picture like uh the private lives of Elizabeth and Essex or the Baron of Arizona, but then also all of his horror movies, every horror movie he brings it, and he knows what kind of movie it's in and and he gives the movie what what it needs. And I think Tom Hanks also has that uh had ability to gauge what kind of movie he's in. I can think of very few movies where I'm like, well, anybody could have played that. I'm thinking particularly of uh that The Circle. That movie where he's basically oh, yeah. like Bill Gates or somebody. And I guess he's a villain. That movie is not great. And Tom Hanks, you can think maybe he's, like, trying something different. Like, I'm going to play, like, kind of a villain. But, like, not really. Because uh, he doesn't bring a lot of his own darkness to that role. If it was written in, then maybe he would be, like, an a evil tech person villain. But yeah, I I just I like Tom Hanks. I like him in his uh, more serious moments, but I like the the comedic backlog. I'm glad that's there. I can go revisit the Money Pit movie. I watched like 30 times before I was 10 years old.
1: You know, actually, I th- there is another there is another film since the Terminal with Tom Hanks that I like. As much as the terminal, it's not a Spielberg film, but I am a big fan of Cloud Atlas, oh um, yeah, oh yeah, so good that's that's some really good that's some that's that's Hanks playing like I don't want you to play if you're gonna play m- men, play three of them that's what I you know <laughs> <laughs> or four well, it's good for you Tony know.
0: Randall's good for Tom hanks,
1: yeah, um. uh. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Brian, did you have a did you weigh in on on Mr. Hanks? What's, well, what's I
0: it? think he and Spielberg are a perfect fit together because I think even though they're both considered like the greatest in their field, I think they're both also incredibly like taken for granted because they make it look so easy, like you don't think about. Spielberg's being his great director sometimes like some people they just go like oh he's just the most popular and he'll do a slight effort like the terminal but then you're like no this is still him really working and it's the same thing with Tom Hanks it's like he's a, like no actor just shows up and just is that good he actually does the work he to me he's very comparable to Denzel Washington. Where they're just like very likable guys, and maybe you'd see a bunch of it and think like, oh, they're just doing the same thing. Oh, he's just showing up and being Denzel Washington. But Denzel Washington, also Shakespearean trained, uh, is just like it is. He makes it look easy because it's so natural. They feel like real people. But like that is a true craft. Like that is hard work.
2: Yeah. One of my notes was uh, America's Two Dads. At it again. (laughs) Yeah. Tom Hanks is America's dad, but like also Steven Spielberg is also America's (laughs) dad. And we've been living in an apartment with them and it's been hilarious.
1: Yeah. This, uh, so so let's, let's, let's come back. Let's come back to the terminal a little bit because, so this this film lands in America like Victor Dvorsky, uh, in the midst of that weird millennial 9-11 phase of history. And I, I guess I'd probably put it together, but I, I, in researching this, I came across several places where people talked about the three Steven Spielberg films of... Uh, Munich and War of the Worlds and The Terminal as all being his part of his trilogy of response to 9/11. And I don't know. There's it, it's my mind goes back and like it, when I start to try and think of this film as a serious film, which I think one of the great things about the way they did it and having it be sort of this light comedy around this very dark story. Uh well, I guess that I didn't I didn't have to take on I didn't have to think when I when I take it as the comedy, I don't have to think about maybe some of the things that wouldn't have worked if you that don't work about this when you try and take it seriously as a message film. Because well, I mean, if you're going to make a film about immigration abuses and the difficulty of immigrating to the United States at that time, it's kind of an easy thing to make him sort of a Yakov Smirnov type instead of making him Middle Eastern.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's one of those things that you, I guess, I, and this could be the, the knock on Spielberg, but I also think it's also part of the genius is you, the, the political message is there if you want to go and get it, but you, he's going to make you come and get it. Like you, like a, If I I was going to make this movie and I'm not Steven Spielberg and I don't have the common touch, I would have. I I probably would (laughs) have. I would have found someone other than Tom Hanks to play this role, but it wouldn't have been the great movie that we're talking about. Do you have any thoughts about that? About just sort of like. We're talking a lot about it as a comedy, but let's take a second and look at it as a message movie because if it is part of a trilogy of 9 11 responses, then. On some level, it's intended as a message movie. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Like, I think the I mean, it has, like, the very beginning of the movie, they, Stanley Tucci says, America
2: is closed. Like, that's, the message is right there. <laughs> yeah, harsh statement. And you're like, oh, ho, ho, it's funny because it's true. And then hopefully there's a beat and you say, "Uh, like, oh, yeah, like, it's sad because it's true um spielberg's not a very openly political filmmaker not like oliver stone you know but he'll make movies that indirectly touch on subjects that are in the zeitgeist and then like you said andras in this way where you can take it and and the movie will get this extra layer this uh you know Uh, more substantial kind of darkness sometimes but if you just want to watch it it just like as a romp about a guy that has to live in an airport and isn't that going to be you know zany and wacky then you can just take the movie like that but then if you want to really you know focus on the whole immigration side and the message of like uh, yeah America is closed he does all this work so he can get 75 cents and buy like one hamburger and it's this like glorious moment where he gets to eat like for doing all this work and then something that everyone in the airport just takes for granted and he gets to chow down on this you know 75 cent whopper and weren't those the days <laughs>
1: They're two dollars now. But e- but yeah. even that, like that's that's the thing. It's like oh, Spielberg is so weird because that moment could just be like I watched that and thought, well, this is an ad for McDonald's or Burger King or whatever. Like I don't even want to eat one of those burgers, but the way that Tom Hanks is eating that burger, I want that now. It was such, so it is. It's so it, on the one hand, it is communicating this desperation and this very human moment but it's also, which is sort of subversive, but it's also this super, our American hero wins by making a few pennies to buy a McDonald's burger, and he's so happy to eat it that we all want to eat that burger with him. (laughs) And it's like this, that's the patriotism of Steven Spielberg. Well, it's kind of like the best patriotism of the movies. Like, that's Charlie Chaplin. That's, it's, it, Steven Spielberg didn't invent that, but he's tapped into that in a way that, feels like, I can't tell if it's cult of, if he's, it, yeah, it, it must be a natural thing. It's so hard to think <clears throat> of. He's, he's so big. It's hard to comprehend Steven Spielberg, even as someone who basically got to watch his movies as they were coming out. Like I was just coming of age when I was a kid. I mean, when Jaws came out enough so that I wasn't allowed to see Jaws for several years. But I saw every other Steven Spielberg movie when it came out, pretty much. And still, he's so daunting as a voice, because what is that voice?
2: It's really weird. I think overall Spielberg is, and I don't think there's any denying this, he's an optimist. He adds a golden glow to everything he does, even a, and I say Kubrick would have done that ending. I think he did what Kubrick set out. I don't think he he tacked on that last especially golden glowy part. But like uh he says Close Encounters is his movie about Watergate. And it's a movie where yeah, there is a secret government program and they're hiding stuff from the people, but it's so François Truffaut can commu- communicate a message of peace <laughs> to the aliens. It's like I understand you you understand me and then everyone's on their way um, I want to bring up before I forget that this movie has three credited writers uh, someone who only gets a story credit is Andrew Nichol who wrote and directed Gattaca and then also In Time which is basically Gattaca but with time instead of genes and I think maybe some of that like Darkness, you're talking about, Andras, comes from maybe the Andrew Nickel version of this and Gattaca, which I'm sure all the listeners know, but it's about discrimination based on genes and genetic engineering and the loops, the, the leaps that the Ethan Hawk character has to do just to get by in this world where he's disadvantaged just for being himself and the stuff with yeah, the bureaucracy and immigration yeah adds uh like if you want it like uh, a a political side to the movie
0: mm-hmm. and one of the other writers is sasha Gervasi. And his first movie he directed was that movie, uh, that documentary Anvil, the story of Anvil. And that's a documentary about this band that's forever struggling to try to make it and to try to make it big. And it's just like constant obstacle after obstacle. So I think these are perfect people to write
1: a movie about a man trying to survive at an airport (laughs) terminal. Which, and it's based upon a true story. Yeah. Is what I, which, I mean... You have to imagine that the true story is
2: nothing like the thing we see in the movie. It is not. I looked it up. The, the true story, which the film may or may not be based on. Either way, this guy made some money off the movie. He's an Iranian gentleman named Miran Karimi Nasiri. And from 1988 to 2006, he lived in the Charles de Gaulle airport, because while he was trying to get to London, his papers disappeared, and he couldn't continue on his voyage, so he was just stuck there. There, The courts and the system did get involved, and the courts ultimately ruled that he entered the airport legally, but because... He didn't have or couldn't get these papers. He could not set foot in France. So he just had to stay there. And then somehow the French equivalent of the State Department was like, we can get you to Belgium. He's like, no, London or nothing. I live in the airport then. And he lived there until 2006- when he started having health problems and was hospitalized, and then after that, he moved to a a shelter in Paris in the twenty arrondissement and that's where he lives to this day
1: so basically, Spielberg and Hanks whitewashed this guy's story. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to see, you know, this is, this is the movie, this is a movie, someone out there should, should make the actual story. And that'd be a great double feature. Uh, yeah. sort, of, sort of the terminal, the, the Capra-esque Spielberg, Hank's happy America story. You know, that like in the, in that one, you have to threaten that they're going to send this guy to JFK. And he's like, no, no, anywhere but America, anywhere but America, <laughs> please. <laughs>
2: So Spielberg, there's a bit of a fuzzy background on the actual conception of this movie, because Spielberg did find out the story of this man and bought the rights to make uh, this man's
1: story. Because it's great. It's totally cinematic. I mean, of course you want to
2: make a movie about this. But also, in all the making of special features, he claims that it was just his script reading weekend. It's my weekend to read scripts. And then all of a sudden, I came across this screenplay by Steven Gervasi, And it made me forget all the other scripts I read. And I'm like, this is the one I have to make. And so it's kind of unclear to me with where exactly this movie came from either way spielberg or amblin dreamworks paid mr nasiri money for both his life story and the movie but yeah in the uh making the featurettes there is no mention of him no mention that it is based on a true story and i think uh, they, you know, they just want to distance themselves from the true story, from reality, <laughs> uh, because of the like dark real world implications of there's an actually a man living in this airport, and then at a point it becomes, uh, it becomes aware he might be doing this by choice, like he just wants to live in this airport. There may or may not have been, like, mental health issues uh, that came up. But, uh, yeah, I think the way to skirt that actual darkness and real-world consequences, they decided to just entirely fictionalize it and make up a country. Krakovia. Uh yeah. You know, I want to go back to this
1: idea that Steven Spielberg is an optimist, because I, I, I agree with you, but at the same time, you know how uh, like when when Kubrick we would talk about The Shining and he would say, oh, "I think it's a it's a very optimistic movie," and people would say, well, "Why, that's crazy." He's like, "No, I mean, it suggests that there's life after death, which is incredibly optimistic." <laughs> and better than nothing. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I feel like, I feel like Steven Spielberg is the opposite. I feel like he, like basically he's clearly drawn to the tragedy of life, but he also wants, he do, he's not optimistic enough to just let the, let it be what it is. He has to make it, and, the, and again, I don't mean this in a bad way. This is what makes a great storyteller a great storyteller. He has to give it a hook and he has to give it a moment where there's catharsis. Give it a happy ending. He needs to give it magic. Like He can't deal with the bleakness of the stories he tells. So it's like, as you're saying, like about Close Encounters, it's his take on, uh, on Watergate but instead of the American government being behind assassinations and empire, it's about a message to peace because he he has to like – he has to please himself. He has to make something, you know, make it into something that is – that is optimistic, but to me there's something that isn't opt- – there's something cynical about that, and maybe not, not cynical in the sense of like I want to please the market, but cynical in the sense of I just – I you know, I want to make a movie about the Holocaust because I know I need to tell that story. I need to want to tell a story about slavery because I know I need to tell that story, the night the nightmare of America, but I got to find a happy, st- <laughs> a happy piece in this, which is – I don't know, just – I think it makes him really interesting. I don't know if it fully makes, like, I like that he's not entirely optimistic, I guess. Or, you know, I, that he's more complicated than simply being an optimist. I think he's just a, a really, yeah, contradictory filmmaker, so.
2: Yeah, I guess he would say he's he's aware of the realities of the world. But the way he deals with it is going to be his, you know, optimistic, way like the 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 uh, tri- his trilogy of post 9-11 trauma films the terminal war of the worlds and munich neither of which directly address 9-11 in in any way not even the terminal but the movie he makes first before he makes the like intense film where we're like oh my god this reminds me of nine eleven or munich the one about a terrorist attack and the implications and the consequences thereafter the first story he makes is this charming story about a nice man who changes people's lives for the better and who never gets, uh, you know, knocked down?
1: Oh, you're talking
2: about the terminal. Yeah, yeah, now. Okay, sorry. I, I
1: was like, is there another film that's like this? I'm like, I'm looking at his like, is he is he talking? What is he? Is he talking about Men in Black Two that he executive produced? I don't know. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean. I just needed to get on to the, I needed to hit on that point and there was another thing I, I noticed when I was looking at this that the direct the I mean the writer uh, Sasha Gervaisi, he also did this film my dinner with herve have mm-hmm. you seen this the no. Herve Villachez I as soon as I saw that this film existed I started downloading it I wish I had seen it I will by the end of tonight I will have seen my dinner with herve <laughs> and I will report back but it looks. It looks very exciting. And he also directed the film November Criminals. And you know I'm a big fan of films uh, that are about November anythings. Uh, <laughs> but did you see this film, November Criminals? No. I have not, no. It's actually better than you would think. It's sort of uh, not as stylized, but it's brick-like in that it's a teenage detective story uh, this teenager trying to figure out the murder of a friend and you know i basically it's one of those films that i I saw it and thought oh that's cool but when i saw it, i just saw this looking at the at uh sasha's sasha gervaisi's credits and it jumped out to me as like oh well in the context of these other things yeah yeah i could see it's it's definitely worth seeing so, okay, well, I, know, I thought we'd just be talking about people we know all too well, like Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, and the great Stanley Tucci, who we haven't talked about yet. But, uh, but now we're, we can turn ourselves and our audience on to Mr. Sasha Gervais- <laughs> Gervaisi. Um, what about Stanley Tucci? What do we think about him? He's a terrible <laughs> man, great actor. The <laughs> I mean, Tucci.
2: He's great. Um, I like that he's just this manager he's well i'll get into it and that's what makes his character complex is at first for a long time he's not really a villain he's just represents the obstacles keeping victor from coming into the united states but he's all about just the rules and he's not going to bend or break them, and he doesn't even really care about the rules. He just has to f- follow them, and they have to be followed. And then he gets this guy, who because of this random situation, just really complicates things for him. And now this, like, th- this circus—like he's the ringmaster, you know, uh, getting everything in the international terminal flowing just the way it needs to but now there's a man in a bathrobe walking through the terminal (laughs) and like, that's not, that's not part of the program. And then he gets two moments where he's like, just mean, he stops being just a guy that's just trying to do his job. And the first is right after the goat scene, the scene where the Russian man is trying to get the medicine, this medicine for his dying father, back to Russia, but he didn't have the right form. He didn't know he needed a form. And the the one Russian interpreter is not there at the moment. And that's one of those moments where realistically, come on, you'd have a few interpreters from this... For, you know, for, for such a major language but I think this is like a, a capra fable so we'll go with it so that Victor Noworski has to be brought in and talk this guy down and find the loophole that Tucci offered him where just say this thing just tell this little lie say that it's for your goat not for your father and you can keep the pills and the guy says that, like, it's for his goat. And it's the only English word he says. And it's a it's a very tense but uh, affecting scene. And then Tucci snaps and grabs Victor and pushes him on top of a copy machine. And just, like, tears into him. And says, like, this is why the people of Krikkoja, like, have to wipe their ass with this. And S- Uncle Sam wipes his ass with Charmin 2-ply. And he's, he's mean. That's not a guy that's just trying to do his job. And then the other mean moment. Wait a is- second. Can I Can I just jump in here? Because
1: yeah. cinematically, I mean... I hadn't thought of it this way but that's an incredibly sort of uh <clears throat> manipulative moment that cheats the character because the only, the reason for him to explode is because that's the moment that he's being witnessed by the people who are supposedly judging him as to whether or not he gets to move on and out which is the thing he's trying to do. So the only time so it, at least as in your telling of it I mean I think when he hits the potato chips and Shoots them all over, Navorsky. That that's like this. That's a pretty heavy duty microaggression. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, when, but the only so what you're saying is that the first time we see him be a jerk, it's really for the per, the for to give us that moment in the movie for him to be seen as a jerk by his overlords, which is kind of unfair to the character and a little bit like. Okay, why, you know, what it's almost like, like when you're watching it, your feeling is like good, he gets seen and he's going to get caught. But now I'm thinking like, wait a second, movie. So the only time this guy breaks, that's the time he gets witnessed. That's not really fair. If he's a nice guy the rest of the time, that's kind of shitty. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. Anyway, go on. <laughs> and the sec the second period when he's a jerk I, is is also pretty
2: juicy. Uh for me, that's when he tells Victor, if you go to New York, I will fire your friends. I will fire, uh, he'll fire Mulroy f- for hosting a poker game. He'll fire Enrique Diego Luna for giving him food. And he'll turn in Gupta Kumar Pallana for being wanted in India. And And then he will take
1: Zoe Saldana for his own wife.
0: Oh, no. See, I disagree. I think he's a jerk the whole movie. (laughs) I think, like, he isn't just following the rules. He gets so upset when he sees that things are working out okay with Tom Hanks' character every time and throws a new obstacle in his way. Like, Tom Hanks is working hard, like, pushing the carts around. So Stanley Tucci invents a new job for someone to have that job so that way this guy can't get money to get his 75 cent whopper. Like that's... Oh, and you know,
1: he didn't just create a new job. He had to fire someone else, somewhere else. He had to fire some nameless security guard to create that new job because he can't just move, he can't just create a new job. He has to yeah. keep the, stick to the budget. So we don't yeah. see that. Anyway, go on. Yes. I feel
0: like a lot of people hide behind the evil by just saying, well, I'm just doing my job. I'm just following the rules. I'm just following orders. No, no, no. It doesn't, there's not a pass that <laughs> you can be
1: really bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh I, The so yeah, uh, so we have some disagreement, but in general, we think that uh, that Tucci represents a, a negative force in the film. But definitely, as definitely. an actor, he's he the
2: antagonist. Even though I said he's maybe not right. a villain, he's definitely the the antagonist. And I would say he is like the supreme villain. But
1: uh, but I think one of the things, and again, I think maybe we should be talking about him in the same breath as Spielberg and Hanks, in that the reason that we i think the reason we aren't quite able to fully say he's a villain villain is because his performance is so light and grounded yeah. and he doesn't up until that point like i think the points you're talking about the two points when he seems like a jerk is when he's being a jerk for his own pleasure but the rest of the time he seems like he's a guy who enjoys his job and his job is to be a jerk who keeps people from coming to America or from bringing things through America? His job is to find that drugs, the drugs and the walnuts, and sometimes it's drugs in walnuts, and he's a super cop. But most of the time, it's you know the it's CBD oil. Trying You're trying to come get to your America, grandma. yeah. And <laughs> and he's yeah. But I think that's why Stanley Tucci is so good because. He doesn't overplay any of this. Like, there's he doesn't twiddle his mustache in some ways <laughs> that you could or get off just get off on being the bad guy. Yeah,
0: that, that's so great. Is he seems so sad through the whole movie still? Like, he's doing what he thinks he should do and extra, and he never feels like he's satisfied and he never seems like he's really happy. He seems just like a lonely guy <laughs> with a job that maybe this is his job, but it doesn't seem like he particularly
1: loves it. Yeah, no, he's he is the quintessential successful bureaucrat. He is going to constantly be trying to move up the ladder, which is a constant state of as soon as he gets the new job, he wants to get out of that place. But he first has to like win at that place to get out of it. Which, yeah. and he and this this guy this character is just quintessentially that. Like he he is the perfect guy for that job. That job is just a job that's going to lend itself to, you know, just sort of some of the worst qualities of humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that it's Tucci makes you just—he's a likable guy, like because it's yeah. Stanley Tucci, so it's so much better than if it was I don't know what actor like if it was Michael Shannon you wouldn't have (laughs) his you know you'd just be terrible to
2: deal with well Tucci like Hanks I, I think is aware of what kind of movie he's in because as we know from his filmography he can ham it up he can be actually like sinister he can be very charming and likable and here he's very low key and subdued
1: correct me if you think i'm wrong here but i feel like if oliver platt had played this role it would have been just as good uh, yeah if it's just anyone from the imposters no yeah. i think it's really i think those two guys <laughs> they should just it, whichever role the one doesn't get or take the other guy should do it i think because they they both have that the, why aren't they why are not those guys do some more movies together ah, that, that i was, know right that was so yeah. good Anyway, that's a different episode. We're talking about the imposters, which we covered in like our fourth episode, fourth or fifth episode. Yeah. Um.
0: Well, I'm really what, what I loved when I first saw this movie that was really excited to me, exciting to me, was that Kumar Pallana's in it, and this is like a big role for him—the biggest role I feel he has ever had. And before this, I only knew him in like those tiny little parts in Wes Anderson movies, and he was always really great. But to see him here, really act in that scene when he's chasing the airplane with his mop or whatever, that part's intense and he's really good.
2: Yeah.
0: And you get to see him juggle
1: plates. So <laughs> He's good. Yeah, he's good. He, he's a vindictive. He's like, actually he has many great scenes that oh, the yeah. scene about, you know, do you have an appointment? The scene where he's telling, and then the little man, he stands up to the big man. His, you know, he's, yeah, he's, that is, he is great in it.
2: He's pretty, he yeah. pretty great. And It's nice knowing Kumar Palana, not a professional actor. You only know him for Wes Anderson movies because he was Wes Anderson's landlord. <laughs> and Wes Anderson put him in a couple movies. But he also knew how to uh, juggle and spin plates. He spin plates in uh, Royal Tenenbaums as well and so he gets to show off even more of that it's like it's like oh great i love seeing this i love seeing you kumar in wes anderson movies and i'm seeing you even more and given the the right kind of role in the right kind of way to just show off like that that charm he brings to the to everything he's in
1: well, speaking of charm, and we haven't really we haven't talked about her at all, but Catherine Zeta Jones. Um I feel like she's she's kind of like Pierce Brosnan in that like in like at some point we have to acknowledge that she's a great actor, but she's she was like she when she arrived she was already sort of fully made movie star that it's kind of like I feel like people still hold her initial impact as just sort of this beautiful woman a, kind of against her as compared to like a Julianne Moore or people who, are, don't, who aren't Catherine Zeta-Jones. And she gets these kind of roles, like this is the kind of role Michelle Pfeiffer used to get. And yeah. same kind of trick of being able to like come in in a pretty thankless role and just embody the hell out of it. And sell every one of these sort of thankless beats she has. Again, sort of like a, a Capra <clears throat> heroine, like a, a Barbara Stanwyck. Um, thoughts on uh, on her performance?
0: I think just like her whole character arc is like the biggest twist and the saddest thing in this movie. Because the movie, and when you're watching the movie, it really feels like it's selling it as like, this is like a romantic comedy. This is like how these two people meet. They're going to fall in love. Eventually he's going to leave the airport and she'll be right alongside him going to the jazz club or whatever. <laughs> and it doesn't work out that way. And she ends up being kind of a, a jerk or just sort of won over by this jerk. And it's really shocking <laughs> when that was well, revealed.
1: And let's, let's, let's unpack this beat for a second. So in, she falls for Tom Hanks for Noworski. And realizes what his situation is. So in order to set him free from the terminal, she basically goes back to the boyfriend that her whole arc has been, I'm going to finally get away from this guy. And she's finally gotten away from this guy who is, you know, whatever, bad for her. And so she decides to then basically prostitute herself to get him the papers to leave and then when he tries to use the papers he can't even use them so her act uh like so that surrender on her part ends up being made com- rendered completely pointless by the movie that is uh, come on that's fucking bleak that is, that is <laughs> dark that yeah. is dark if if we had like if 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 Spielberg chose to like then take his Camera into the car with Michael Nori and Catherine Zeta-Jones as they're driving away. Like, I—that's where my mind goes. That's the move. That's that's why Spielberg is Spielberg because he would never do that. But my mind goes into that car. Like her life. Like okay, everyone in this movie, their life is fucked. Like that's so <laughs> bad i mean the the actually the saxophone player he's doing okay he's playing his regular <laughs> game the,
2: the real Benny eaglelson <laughs> is doing okay,
1: yeah, the real Benny colson's doing okay uh sorry uh your thoughts on catherine zeta jones uh
2: a j well, I think that any um charm or depth. To this character amelia comes from catherine zeta jones because i think that may be the weakest part of the movie for me is her character who i think is pretty underwritten she's just kind of it feels like the screenwriters that just the movie as an entity thought like whoa but where's the love story he has to fall <laughs> in love with someone and yeah. so I think with a different actress, there, there just wouldn't be a lot there and it would feel forced and contrived. As, as weak as I think the, the love story line is, I think it works to the g- degree that it does just because of what Catherine Zeta-Jones brings to it. Do you think her head is as big as Tom Hanks's?
1: Is that do you think that's part of what it is? Is that when she shows up it's like finally there's someone here with as big a head as our as our lead.
2: That might be it. I mean, I never once thought um like when I'm watching 42nd Street and Dick Powell and Ruby Keeler are next to each other and all I can think of is oh my god, his head is massive. <laughs> I think that's the way we all
1: reacted to 42nd Street (laughs) Uh, okay well uh, any like before any last thoughts on on this harrowingly
2: heartwarming film harrowingly heartwarming (laughs) I love it yeah because the harrowing part is there if you want it and the heartwarming part is there if you want it to me I think it's heartwarming no matter what um, I have this quote here from Spielberg about the movie which is pretty much how I felt so he said it a lot more clearly than I probably could it's a bit long but uh, here it goes I think that this movie is again for me having a reaction to all the darkness of my films in the 1990s and into the 2000s, from Schindler's List to Saving Private Ryan, Amistad Minority Report, Even Night AI. You know, there's a kind of seriousness in those films. After Catch Me If You Can, I wasn't so willing to jump into something else that was grounded in history or was an important subject, quote unquote. I want to do something else that made me smile, that could make other people smile. And this is a time that we need to smile. And Hollywood movies are supposed to give that to people at times in our own history, when we're going through some painful experiences in our world. And so I felt reactive about that and didn't want Catch Me If You Can To be the only movie I made at the beginning of the 21st century, that was a bit of a romp. I wanted to do another picture that could just make you laugh and cry and feel good about yourself and other people, end quote. And yet,
1: and this is what I love, and yet he did it without giving anyone a cheap, happy ending. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store.
0: Show.
4: Hey babies, it is me, the self-appointed Commissioner of Comedy, James Matter.
2: I just want to tell you that every week I'll be wherever you listen to podcasts with my show, The Commissioner of Comedy. I've been doing this, babies, for almost 20 years years grinding up and down and i'm here to convey it to you about the do's and don'ts of the comedy scene the proper etiquette the unwritten rules if you will whether you're just a fan or you're a young buck starting out a grizzled old vet or just someone who wants to peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage gets made tune into the podcast the commissioner of comedy this is what it's about it's only on Paperhouse network and it's for you babies it's for you
1: Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Okay, so what's going on with the director's wall, guys? Uh, Francis Coppola, good director bad what do we What do we think? <laughs> He's great. Uh,
0: we was well, interesting. We had just uh, when this is airing, we'll have just done Tucker.
1: Ah, man in dream. You, you know you you know how long you've been promising us Tucker. <laughs> Our audience does not buy do it. it. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're does not buy do. it. another like
0: four months you've been saying. <laughs> and I don't know what's after that. New York stories. New York stories, stories. So well, I think November will be Tucker, and then December,
1: New York stories. Question: but, uh, When you do New York stories, are you going to do all three of them, or are you just going to focus on the? Comfort? We're going to talk about all three. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. I I like all three of
0: those a lot. So. do you have a favorite that I think life lessons is the, like the best short film ever made. It's so good.
2: The Coppola one's always been my favorite. <laughs> really? And people usually say that that's the weakest one. They so do I'm interested in revisiting it. Hmm. Well, I guess I'm going to be once again, the one who
1: puts my finger on the, the Woody scale. <laughs> <laughs> it is really good. It's really, fu- it's one of the funniest things he's done. It really, it feels like one of his short stories. It and does. That's- kind of my favorite uh sort of pure the essence of Woody Allen. Okay, well, so well that's great. What are the odds of that that there'd be three people who all like Different I mean, ones. mine's the easy one, but yeah, so you're so so you love the Coppola one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, I look forward to that episode. Um we are of course talking about the what is it? What year was that did that come out? 88, 89? Yeah, 89. New York stories. Three like forty, like a half forty minute films.
0: There's like three thirty five, forty minute movies. Yeah,
1: from the now, Coppola's is not a New York guy, though. I mean, Scorsese and Woody Allen are New York
2: guys. Coppola,
4: yeah. where's he He's from originally? California.
2: Like he uh, sort of grew up around New York and went to undergrad there, but then he went out to USC or UCLA, I always forget because they're only one letter apart.
1: <laughs> but he, he made enough movies in New York. Don't you think there should have been, I mean. Spike Lee. Spike Lee should have been the third. Oh, no, that'd be great. Story. <laughs> same story. He should have had to do the same story. <laughs> like what is the yeah, Sofia Coppola <laughs> writes for Spike Lee to direct. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Have you have you both seen Tucker, A Man in His Dream? No. No, I I have not. Wow. Okay, I have. I've always avoided it. It always looked very very boring to me. You know, I can't. I can't tell. I mean, at the time when it came out, it was um, it was a cool movie. As I, I think I've told you, Brian, it was. I remember it as being the film that sort of that reannounced Martin Landau and began his amazing run that would go through mm. Ed Wood and Crimes and Misdemeanors. And he just seemed, yeah. but I feel like that was the one that he got, I think he was uh, nominated for a Best Supporting Actor. And after that, he was back. So maybe that'll get you excited. Come on. You, yeah. you're, you're Martin Landau fans, right?
0: I, I am. He's great. Yeah.
2: The Coppola is a director for me like Spielberg whose style is like thematic almost in the reaction that he wants the audience to have it's not the distinct visual style like Wes Anderson or uh subject matter like Oliver Stone or or Woody Allen um yeah, just Coppola is about like themes and families, and Spielberg just wants you to ha- wants to have that sentimental golden glow that all the films he he watched as a kid—movies from the '30s and '40s, the Frank Capra movies, the Chaplin movies, even the Wizard of Oz. This movie is. Kind of a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. The Terminal is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Victor's... You have Dorothy. You've got... Um, uh, Chai McBride is like the cowardly lion. Uh, Kumar is the scarecrow. Diego Luna's the guy in love. But he needs Victor to convey his feelings. He's like the Tin Man.
1: And Stanley Tucci is the man, is is both the wizard, he's like the wizard and the witch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, you know, that tracks. I, I, I could hear you were a little bit dubious at first, Brian, but... It, no, I, I, it, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> the wizard of the terminal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. Well, I love I, I love the director's wall podcast. I recommend it to anyone who enjoys this podcast. And uh, and so and uh, yeah, I, I, I look forward to hearing, you know, if you ever get to Tucker, which I do think you will never do. <laughs> but if you do, when you do, I am looking forward to it. But it's, I've just got I've been promised it so many times. And you have neither of you has even watched it yet. So you're it's not like you're recording this tomorrow. When he, when he, I'm not gonna, never. I'm not going to give any hard time. I'm just like, I, you know, I'm just like Kathy Bates in misery. I just am dying for that next book. And if you don't get it, I'm going to lock you in a room and club your feet. That's.
0: Hey, we before we recorded, we had a conversation saying this weekend I'm watching Tucker. We're doing it. I got a copy today, so it's it's closer than it's ever been before.
1: <laughs> it's is like the beginning of one of those movies where all of a sudden everything is going to conspire. <laughs> like, it ends with, and next week we're definitely going to do the Tucker episode. Um, <laughs> speaking of next week, <clears throat> we are going to be uh, we we're going to be sallying forth on our own, Brian. Yeah, we are going to be looking at another maligned. Steven Spielberg project one yep. of your choosing yep a, a little film called ready player one I love it I love it <laughs> and no one else does and I don't
0: care who knows it
1: <laughs> Uh, okay well we're gonna find out what why and how you you love this film maybe even where and when uh, you <laughs> love it <laughs> I think always and everywhere sounds like and I have one or two little uh, <clears throat> things that I recognized in this film, which I thought were maybe may uh, useful to uh, your to your appreciation—not yours, Brian. Yours is fine, but to listeners' appreciation and enjoyment of the film. But mostly, you're going to be carrying carrying the weight okay. uh, <laughs> for what is I, I, think, I think maybe going to be close to our solstice episode. So, Ooh. so get ready; it's going to be the darkest day of the year. We're going to. Plug into our experience suits, and we are going to—I don't know. And actually, I still—I'm still not quite sure I understand what this movie is about. But, but we're going to <laughs> we're gonna get to the bottom of it. We're um, <clears> going to get to the bottom of it. And uh, you know, uh, if you want to find out about my stuff, check out Radio Eight Ball, where you find that's where you find your Synchronicity podcasts, and you can find. Us. You can find all about us on The World is Wrong. You can find us at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. That's www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. That's where we post clips from these movies, and Brian doles them out judiciously on a day on a somewhat daily basis to you to lap up and enjoy. We'll have lots of <laughs> clips from The Terminal. Lots of Tucci smashing potato chips and lots of exciting stuff there. And then, if you want to argue about movie and po- movies and politics, you can come over and find us on Twitter, the the ugly space, where it's at worldiswrongpod, and uh, that's that's what I that's 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 where I run things. So that's if, you, if any if I if you if you see me saying anything that you find you think I don't know if Brian would agree with that. You're probably right. He wouldn't. Um, <laughs> don't blame him for anything you see there it's not that bad but you know occasionally uh, occasionally I get excited and uh, I think those are the only places you can find us Where there's m- my girlfriend keeps saying we should get a TikTok start a TikTok channel anyone out there wants to start a world is wrong podcast TikTok channel and help us figure out a totally new platform for debasing oh, ourselves uh, you know <laughs> why not? But, uh, well, there's probably, I don't want to ask it like that. Uh, we, we, you, we <laughs> probably should anyway. <clears throat> thank you, AJ for coming back to the show. I hope you're getting your NOSCARS picks ready. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: totally. And thanks for having me. It's was fun.
1: It's, it's always great having you on the show. Uh, people who enjoyed this might want to go back and check out our episode about vanilla sky a film that, uh, that we both, uh, Loved enough that we talked for like four and a half hours about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, and check out the director's wall. And until next time, uh, I just want you to remember that wherever you are, even living in an airport terminal, if you should ever find yourself there, wherever you are, the world is wrong and it is probably wrong about you. Good.
4: You've been ever married? What did he say? You've been ever married? I had a wife and two kids in India. I left them there 23 years ago. Why? I had a small tobacco shop in Madras, made just enough money to survive. One day this policeman comes in and tells me I owe him some tax. I said, okay. this is common, so I pay him. But the next day, the same policemen come and keep coming, keep coming. And I'm paying him, and I'm paying him, and I'm paying him, and I'm paying him. And finally, on the fifth day, I take a knife and I stab him in his chest.
3: You killed all men?
4: No, I just miss his heart. When they try to arrest me, I just run away. So you never go home? Oh, if I go home, I go in the jail for seven years.
3: What if United States catch you? They
4: deport you. As long as I keep my floor clean, keep my head down, they have no reason to deport me. They have no reason to notice a man like me.
2: Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.